Welcome to the podcast for Green Hill Church. You can find out more information about Green Hill Church and how to take your next step with Jesus online at greenhillchurch.com. Well, James chapter 3 is one that you may or may not want to hear this morning because it is very convicting. It is about the words that we speak. And James so bluntly says, we all struggle with this one. If we keep our mouths open too long, we find ourselves in trouble, don't we? And James addresses that very issue. I want to share with you, I found this quote. I found it really fascinating. The words you speak become the house you live in. The words you speak become the house that you live in. I think that is a statement of wisdom for us this morning, and I believe we'll see that truth as we study this scripture. But church, I want you to understand that we need to understand this morning that our words matter. The things that we say, every single one of them matters. Now, listen, you know this about me. I I am not a, um, I don't know, health and wealth person by any means, and I don't think that's what I'm about to read to you is, but I do find this very fascinating. I'm going to go with some neuroscience on you, right, because it makes me feel a whole lot smarter. But listen, listen to this. I find this fascinating. It says, in, in their neuroscience experiment, Do Words Hurt?, Maria Richter and collaborating scientists monitored brain responses to both auditory and imagined negative words. They discovered that painful or negative words increase implicit processing within the subgenual anterior cingulate cortex. Y'all are so impressed. Let me put it in English that I understand. This study proved that negative words release stress and anxiety-inducing hormones in subjects. In other words... When someone hears negative words, something physiologically, neurology, something within us happens where it affects us physically. He goes on to say this, as it turns out, many of your brain regions that process language also control your more major organ systems, your hormones, your immune system. So scientists, they call this a language network because these brain regions participate in language-related functions, which means this, they allow you to read and understand these words, and at the same time, these brain regions guide your heart rate, the glucose circulating in your bloodstream, and and it changes the flow of chemicals that support your immune system. I didn't know this until I read it this week. And here's what I find fascinating about this, and here's why I want to share that with you. You were created by God. And he created you as a spiritual being in his image, but he also created your physical being. He created your neuropathology things that are inside of you. He created your immune system. He created the systems that send glucose and all the things that you need to survive and thrive and live a healthy life. And he did so in such a way for some reason, and I think I know why, it's because he understands the power of words and that words were given to us to be used to build life 
But unfortunately, they also tear it down. And it does something inside of us physically. But what James and what we need to understand is it does something spiritually as well. Church, our words matter. And here's why. Our words matter to God because, watch this, people matter to God. And our words impact people. The people that we're talking to, but also the one who is saying the words ourselves. And God cares about people, therefore he cares about the words that we speak. So in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, he launches into this 12-verse diatribe about this understanding of the importance and the power of our words. It's the, it's the longest section in Scripture that, deal with, that deals with this topic. Obviously, all throughout Scripture, that we, we hear about the, the importance of our words, but man, this is a collective whole in which James is addressing. So let me, let me frame it. For those of you who are new this morning, let me frame chapter 1, 2, and 3 in this. And those that have been here, let, let's remind. Chapter 1 helps us understand that we need to be single-minded, that we don't need to be double-minded, but we need an authentic faith. And even when we walk through hard times, all this stuff, we understand that the aim that we're aiming for is maturity in Christ Jesus, that, that God would be formed in us. The evidence of that in chapter 2, he says, is that our faith works, that it does something inside of us and then it comes out of us in the fruit of obedience. And in chapter 3, he just goes straight to a singular point to say that fruit of obedience ought to be your mouth, the words that you speak. The authenticity of your faith affects, he ties together our spiritual maturity with the words that we speak. Now, James has already addressed the issue of tongue. If you remember chapter 1, verse 19, he says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be what? Quick to hear and slow to what? Speak. Why? Because James knows, we know that the more we speak, the more trouble we get into, don't we, gentlemen in the room? (laughs) The more we talk, the more Trouble we get, and then he says, slow to anger. Then chapter 1, verse 26, and this is just fascinating how he ties these together. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives himself. What does it say? This person's religion is worthless. There's a direct correlation to the words that we speak in the maturity of our faith. So then, for us this morning, what does this look like? How do we process this? How do we think about the tongue which God has given us? Let's read together chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. 
and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Church, don't miss verse 9. With it we bless our Lord and Father. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Man, he hits hard in this text. He hits hard in this text. We need to understand the power of the tongue. And so I want to walk through this and help us understand a few things, recognize a few truths. The first one is this. We need to recognize the life our words can give. We need to recognize that the words we speak, that God has so granted, so enabled us to speak words that they can bring life to people. That God has given this opportunity to us. How, how do we know this? What, where, where is this? If you look back at verse 1, James kind of randomly, it seems, addresses and gives a warning that not everyone ought to be a teacher. He says, very specifically, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. He's talking to the whole group of Christians. He's saying, not many of you should do this. Why? For you know that the ones who teach will be judged with greater strictness. In other words, you're going to face a more strict judgment because you're a teacher and you need to be very careful, very cautious about jumping into that role. Now, understanding the context of what's happening, the Jewish culture, the rabbi, was a very elevated position. He had so much respect. He was seen, um, as, I mean, so much so in society that when, when there was, he, he was admired and respected above everyone else. If, if there was a, a situation, the, the rabbi would take center stage. He would get priority before anyone else in society. And so I think what's happening is as these Jewish people are becoming Christians and moving into a Christian church, if you will, a Christian setting, all of a sudden there's opportunities for them to teach without being a rabbi, understanding that if they're in that position, they may get that same attention that the rabbi gets, even though they don't carry that title, they are in position of authority of teaching in that context. And so what James, I think, is saying to them is you need to be very careful about why you're jumping into the role of teacher. You will be judged more strictly. Now the question becomes why? Why will the teacher be judged more strictly? And here's why. I think it matters. Watch this. Because the words the teacher speaks can either lead to life or they can lead to death. God has given words of life. And the role of the teacher within the church is to speak those words to people. Listen, church, every single Sunday when I stand up here, I feel the weight of this verse. In fact, when I was studying this verse this week, I thought, why in the world did I sign up for this? <laughs> this is crazy. 
Church, let me, let me just, for those of you who are new, maybe you're looking for a church and you're like, what is this church about? There's a reason that we're just walking through the book of James. If you are here looking for wisdom from me to somehow guide you unto life, I have nothing to offer you. I simply have the word of God to offer you. If you're looking to be entertained, if you're looking for any of those things, look somewhere else. We're going to walk and we're going to teach God's word because it is the word of God is the word of life. And I'm going to be held accountable for the words that I speak before you. And I would rather rest upon this before God when he says, why did you say that? I say, I was simply trying to do everything I can to just teach what the word of God says. I feel much better about my Strict judgment upon that. Why? Because these words bring life. Church, listen, if, if you are sitting under a, a teacher, whether it's me, whether it's your life group leader, whether it's a podcast, whether it's TV, whatever, when you're hearing teaching, you need to ask the question, is this true? Is this right? Is this profitable? Is this helpful? And the way you find that out is you look to see if it's in Scripture. This is why I invite you, bring your Bibles to check. Look and see is what I'm teaching, is what's being taught in this church, in this, in this environment. Is this what the Word of God says? Because this Word brings life. Listen, listen to what 1 Timothy chapter 4 says. Because Paul is encouraging Timothy, who is a teacher in the church, and he says this. He says, if you put these things before the brothers. What are these things? These things are the gospel. These things are the things of, of the word of God from God. You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. In other words, the things that are taught, there is an accountability that we teach good doctrine, good belief, sound understanding of who God is. Who is this God that we say that we serve? All the Old Testament is all about helping the people understand this is who God is. This is what he's done. This is who Jesus is. This is what he's done. This is why you need God. This is why you need salvation because you are sinful people desperately in need of salvation. And the only hope that we have is placing faith in Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross. This is life according to scripture. This is good doctrine. He said, if we shift from this, listen church, we are shifting away from a path of teaching and guiding and directing people to life to one that's leading them to death. We're talking an eternity separated from God or eternity with God based upon the words that the teacher of God's word says. There's a weight to this. And Paul was telling Timothy, be careful. You've been entrusted with this good deposit, teach good doctrine, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life, but also the future life, the life to come. So then he goes on, and then in verse 11, he says, command and teach these things. Why? Because they bring life. Now, listen. James is not telling us that you must be perfect to teach. Some of you in this room who teach a life group, all of a sudden your heart's sinking. 
You're like, hold up, when you asked for volunteers, you didn't tell us this. Why did I sign that volunteer sheet? Listen, James isn't saying be perfect. James is saying understand the weight of what you're carrying. That, listen, I, I praise the Lord. For those of you who are leading and teaching our preschoolers and our children and our students, I praise the Lord for you because literally, don't miss this, God has placed you in a place of influence in the life of a person, a young person who is easily influenced. Let's just be honest. And he has given you the opportunity to speak words of life into them. Those little ears and those little minds that God somehow wired up, those synapses, the things that are happening in the brain as you're speaking the word of God to them, as you're telling them that God loves them, as you're telling them that you love them, that you're directing and and, and disciplining them and and leading them to truth and, and love and kindness, all these things, when you're showing them and speaking grace into their life, it's getting inside of them and it is pointing them down a road of life. Church, we need godly teachers because words carry life. But listen to what he says in verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. And he doesn't say you all stumble. He says we. James is, as I mentioned when we studied chapter 1, he's the first pastor of the first church in Jerusalem. He's in a, he, is, he carries the weight of this, and he's saying we all. He's saying I know First and foremost, that I struggle with my tongue, with my mouth. Listen, the words that we speak, we struggle with those. And so he's not saying be perfect, but what he is saying is understand that the words you speak can bring life to people. Church, why should you consider teaching? James just gave us reasons why you shouldn't. Let me just give you a reason why you should. One, because we need godly teachers, but two, because maybe, just maybe, God has gifted you. He has wired you with understanding and an ability to communicate his words, his truth. Don't live in fear of being imperfect. Walk in faith of his grace and his power through his spirit to use. You're just communicating the word of God to bring life to others. There's young people in this room that maybe God wants to call into ministry that maybe one day you'll be a pastor or a youth pastor or a children's minister or you'll do something for the kingdom of God and it'll involve teaching. Step in faith into that call that God has on your life. The world is desperate for good, godly teachers because the world needs life. See, church, but here's the beauty of this message for us today. Listen, you don't have to stand on this stage to speak words of life into people. Come on. The God of this world that loves us has given us the gospel, and not just to the clergy. He's given the gospel to the people. He's given the gospel to all of us. And so we all have words of life that we can speak, and we ought to speak, and we ought to carry the weight of the speech that we give on a daily basis because we too carry the words of life. So James moves on and he moves from this very specific conversation about teachers to just language and speech in our tongue and our words as a whole. The second truth that we need to know is this. We need to recognize the direction our words can carry us. The direction our words can carry us. This is found in verses two through six. James helps us understand. He says, 
If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. This is a fascinating statement. So here's what I need you to do. For all of you who are perfect in your speech, could you just stand up for me real quick? Because if you're perfect in your speech, what James is saying is you're perfect in all things. And here's the picture of what he's saying. And this is, this is the truth of the matter. If you've figured out how to master your tongue, then you've figured out how to master everything. And we all know that that's just simply not the case. And so we understand the danger and the reality of this and that ultimately he moves into this conversation about a bit and a bridle and this directing and this guiding. And he goes into three illustrations in these next several verses. And what James is trying to do is help us understand that our words direct our lives. The words that we speak move us on a path from one way or the other. Here's how he illustrates it. He talks about a bit in a horse's mouth. And he says that this, this animal, this horse, it obeys us. We know that horses are powerful. How many of you have a truck in this room and you talk about how many horsepower your truck has? It makes you feel more manly because you have more horses powering your truck than someone else. Right? We do that because we understand the power of a horse. But yet somehow, some way, if you put a bit in that horse's mouth, then all of a sudden this powerful animal we have full control over. It guides and directs that entire body. And what James is doing is correlating this to our lives. He's saying we guide the whole body, our whole lives with our tongue. This small yet powerful tongue can set the direction of your life. He goes on and he gives an illustration about a ship. If you've ever seen a ship, when we were in Charleston area, and we see these massive container ships coming into port, and they're just huge. And then you see and understand the size of the rudder that's guiding this ship. And James is using these illustrations because these are very common in these days. They, these people understand what it means to be on a, on a boat and, and that this rudder is the only hope that they have. And he, he even speaks about in the verse, look at the ships, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds. That, that word strong winds is chaos, it's, it's fury, it's, it's dangerous, it's this reality of the world around this ship. In chapter 1, if you remember, he talked about the one who is tossed about unstable in all his ways. And what he's saying is that it is our tongue that guides and directs us in the environment around us. How easily our tongue is swayed by our environment. What he's saying is that ought not be. It is our tongue that guides us in the environment. And so we understand the picture of what he's trying to communicate to us. But he goes on, particularly with the ship, and he says, at the will of the, what? The pilot. It's the will of the pilot that's directing the tongue. So the pilot controls the rudder, which then controls the ship. And we know that in this illustration, the ship is our lives. The rudder is our tongue. So what in, then is the pilot? Now, if you've ever been to church for many times, and you go to what we affectionately know as Sunday school, or we call here life groups, the Sunday school answer to this question is, 
Jesus. Let's look at that for a minute. What what, what does that mean? James has already addressed foolish people in chapter 2. Do you remember this? He says, you fools, do you want to be shown that you can't have faith without works? In other words, that word fool means empty. It's somebody who has an empty faith. It's an inauthentic faith. It has no weight to it. It has no bearing in his life. It produces no works at all. He is a foolish person who thinks that he can stand before God and somehow because he's vocalized something with his mouth that God will look at him upon favor when reality he's just empty. He's full of sin. He has nothing versus the one who has everything, Christ, the treasure, the good deposit that's been entrusted into him. And so James is comparing this person who is a fool versus someone, if you come next week, and by the way, I do hope you do come next week, all right? I really do. The next section, James goes into a discussion about wisdom. So there's this comparison contrast between the fool and the wise, foolishness and wisdom. And James gets a lot of his understanding from the Old Testament Proverbs and, and all of the language that's there. Listen to what Proverbs says about the fool, verse Chapter 18, verse 7 of Proverbs, a fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. There is a direct correlation to this understanding of a foolish person and foolishness in the words that he speaks. It is his ruin. In other words, his words direct his path. Are you being piloted by foolishness or wisdom? See, God has given us wisdom by his grace. Chapter 1, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should what? Ask, because the Lord gives generously. The words that come out of your mouth need to be filtered through the wisdom of God. Because it is the wisdom of God that directs, that pilots our tongue, which then pilots our life, which then sets the trajectory and the course and the direction of our lives. He goes on and he uses another, another illustration. It's the illustration of a small fire. So also the tongue, verse 5, is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. And what he's doing is he is now shifting from the potential good of the tongue and those illustrations of the rudder, it's guiding you in the storm, the horse's bit, it's guiding this powerful animal towards where you want it to go, towards good. And now he shifts to an illustration that shows and warns of the great danger of the trajectory of what a tongue and a word can do. He says how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Many of you remember in 2016 the images of the Gatlinburg fires that we watched on the screen and the horrific videos of these people trying to escape down the mountain and there's fury of fire on both sides of the street. These these trees have fallen and, and just the horrific reality of what that was. That fire was set by a very, very, very small fire that just expanded. I was reading that it became the most deadly fire in the eastern United States since 1947. I believe 14 people lost their lives. Many others were hurt. The destruction of a small fire. We understand what James is communicating, and what he's communicating is very clear. Our tongue can wreak havoc on our lives and others' lives as well. 
He says, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue becomes the conduit by which all the evil of the world around us comes to expression in us. And he goes on and he gives several reasons why. If you look at those verses, he says that the tongue stains the whole body. It it stains us. Church, when we tell lies, when we exaggerate for our own good, when we become biting with our words, when we become overbearing in our language and hateful, when we bully, when we, and you fill in the blank of all the different ways that we can use our tongue for evil, when we do that, it corrupts and stains us. It's not just hurting and destroying the people we're talking to. It corrupts and stains us, is what scripture says. If you remember James chapter 1, verse 21, 27, excuse me, James makes this really interesting statement. He says, true and authentic religion is what? To keep oneself unstained from the world. James is now connecting dots to say it is your tongue that stains you in the world. Watch your words. He goes on and he's, then he says that the tongue sets on fire the entire course of life. And this is just a really interesting statement that, that is really kind of difficult to interpret and, 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 and understand, but, but let, me, let me take a stab at it. I think what he's saying is this whole concept that the words that we speak sets a course for our life. It, it, it sets the course and the direction of our life. For instance, how many relationships, marriages have been broken with a small word that's been spoken? A small fire that expands and grows. How many kids grow up struggling with addiction and self-esteem and eating disorders and on and on we go because of some small words that were spoken. It sets the course of life. Dennis and Barbara Rainey, they're incredible people that help marriages and families They said this about words. They said, words are like seeds. Once planted in your mate's life, your words bring forth flowers or weeds, health or disease, healing or poison, and you carry a great responsibility for their use. Church, we got to be careful. The words that we speak, even to the ones we love. It sets the entire course of life. And then he goes on and he says that the tongue is set on fire by hell. James just goes straight to the point. He said, let me just tell you why the tongue is evil. Because Satan is evil and hell itself is trying to accomplish something. And he wants to do it through your words. If you go all the way back to the beginning when God created, what does it say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he said, let there be. What did he do? He said, he spoke He spoke words to create. This is the power of words in God's economy and what he can do. It brings life. But if you go to chapter 3 in Genesis, we know that Satan in the form of the serpent slithers up to Eve. And what does he do? He speaks words to her to deceive her. Set on fire by hell. Listen, this is the danger that we face is that our words, God, excuse me, Satan wants to deceive us into thinking that it's not that big of a deal, the words that we speak. You've heard the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. We know 
that is a lie. One person said it this way, far easier to heal are the wounds by sticks than the damage of words. How much damage Satan has done in our world through the brokenness of the tongues of humanity. And unfortunately, it's the same case within the church. And James has words to say. So in chapter 3, he goes on, and we see in verses 7 through 8, another truth that we need to recognize the difficulty of taming our words. Why is this so difficult for us? And he says, the animals, the, the birds, the reptiles, the sea creatures, all these things we have learned to, to tame and to train. You go to SeaWorld, right? You got whales that are doing tricks at the command of, of mankind. And then James says, but we have not figured out how to tame our tongue. Why is this? Why is this? Quite simply, it's this sin. Listen to Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. It says, you brood of vipers. This is Jesus talking, by the way. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? Listen, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what is driving the tongue? It is the heart. And what is the heart in mankind, according to Paul in Romans chapter 3, when he begins to express the need for salvation, the need for redemption is rooted in the depravity and the sinfulness of who we are. And this is how Paul describes our sinfulness in chapter 3, verse 10. He says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. But listen to what he says next. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. So in the very text that Paul uses to show us the depravity of the sinfulness of our hearts, he says, let me just show you what I mean by that. Look at what they say. The reason we can't control our tongues is because we have a sin heart issue. And this is the beauty of what James is getting at when he's talking about authentic faith is this, that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only hope we have for taming our tongue is not in you being self-controlled and you, you know, getting your mouth washed out with soap or any of those things. You need a transformation of your heart by Jesus Christ through the gospel. And in that, it begins to affect the words that come out of your mouth. We need the gospel to transform our words. And then lastly, verses nine through 12, we recognize the reality our words reveal. Church, this is where it hits home. Listen to what he says. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be. Church, let's be honest. We were in this room this morning just a few minutes ago singing at the top of our lungs praise and blessing upon God and his glory and his goodness. With that very same tongue, probably earlier today, maybe earlier this week, and probably for sure later this coming week, that same tongue tore somebody down. That same tongue spoke lies to somebody. That same tongue, in essence, cursed somebody 
And the issue that God has and that scripture has and that James has is that that person is created in the very image of God. He says that ought not be. And then he goes on to use this illustration. He says, can a spring produce both fresh water and salt water? The answer is no. If it is a salt water spring, it will produce salt water. If it's a fresh water spring, it will produce fresh water. He says, don't believe me? Look at trees, a fig tree. Is it going to produce figs? Yes. Is it going to produce something else? No. We know these things to be true. And what James is doing is illustrating that the fruit of our words and what we do with our words gives a glimpse into it reveals the condition of what's happening within our hearts. It's convicting, I told you. Church family, this ought not be. James is trying to disciple us into his image. And he says, look at your words. So how do we walk in this? Here's how. We confess our sin before Jesus. And we say, God, redeem our words. Use our words to build up and not to destroy. Season our words with the gospel and use them for God's glory. And church, I want you to think in these categories. How are the words you're speaking impacting your marriage? How are the words you're speaking impacting your kids or your grandkids? How are the words that you're speaking impacting your neighbors and your co-workers? And then how are the words that you're speaking impacting the body of Christ, the church? Because unfortunately, we're not exempt from it within this room. So let me encourage you to do this. Speak words of affirmation. Speak words of appreciation. Speak words of care. Speak words of encouragement. Speak words of respect. Speak words of grace. And speak words of truth. Because words matter. They're powerful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for even the moments when you correct us. And God, that you remind us that we need to be careful with the words that we speak. God, I pray that we would be a people who've been so shaped, so transformed by your gospel and your word, that it would be your words of life that flow out of our mouths. So that you get the glory and that lives are built up. Lord, forgive us when we use words to tear down, when we use words to boast, when we use words for our own vanity, our own purposes. God, help us to be wise. We trust you in this, in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we're gonna close with a song of response. Hopefully, by God's grace, the Holy Spirit is speaking into your life, leading you towards righteousness. That means that we need to not just hear the word of God, but we need to act upon it. Whatever that looks like in your life, if that's confession, if that's saying I'm sorry to someone, if that's asking someone to, to partner with you and hold you accountable, if that's asking for prayer, whatever that is, you step into obedience in that. 
that's going to a spouse or a child and just saying, look, I am sorry for the words that I've spoken and please, please forgive me. You do what you need to do today. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Green Hill Church. For more information about Green Hill Church, go to greenhillchurch.com. Thanks for listening.